Well, good morning, good morning. Before we start, can I just get a wellness check of the room? Is everyone okay? We all good? Senior track, are you good? Is it everyone all set? Well, that's good. I don't know about you, but I get a big kick out of uh, a bunch of kids from Buffalo, New York, singing Shalom together. And uh, I, I, there's just something about it. It just makes me giggle every time I see it. In that vein, one thing we do when we go before the text is we stand, we say a Jewish Eastern prayer called the Shema. Would you join me in that as we go before the text this morning? Say it after me. And loud, kids, let me hear it. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Let's read from Romans 12 today. We're starting a new series, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Oh, please stand. I'm sorry. Please remain seated. We got to get to the good part, the scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I say, do not conform and uh, perfect will, excuse me. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, it's good to be back here teaching after a couple months hiatus as we welcomed our third daughter, Rudy uh, Elizabeth, and we've been very excited about that. Thank you. She was born just about six weeks ago, and uh, she is, um, people have asked, she's average sleeper. She's not good. She's not bad. She gives us our nights and sometimes not. But I do want to say uh, uh, from Molly and I, thank you so much for all of the notes, the gifts, the encouragement, the offers for help, and of course the meals. You know how to fatten a guy up, that's for sure. I have eaten uh, quite hearty over the last uh, few weeks here. Thank you. When Micah was born, actually, we were right in the middle of our church planning days, uh, very lonely days. And while we had a few people around us that supported us and were very good to us, man, I'll tell you, it is a tremendous blessing to live in Christian community. And we thank you so much for that. Now, we're a church of grace, right? Amen? We're a church of grace. So, that was not very convincing. <laughs> we're a church of grace, right? Right, we're a church filled with grace. So, in light of my current sleep deprivation, if at the end of this you walk away and you go, what in the world was he talking about? Just walk away, just smile, and walk away, and we'll never speak of this again. All right, is that a deal? One thing is you walked in as you were given a mask. Kids, hopefully you've got that mask. Hopefully you grabbed some colors uh, with you. Uh, adults, you also need to have one of these. If you do not have one, could you raise your hand? We've got ushers that will come down and give you one. So if you do not yet have a mask, just raise your hand. They'll come down and uh, get, you, uh, get you one. If you need crayons as well, grab some crayons. Kids, I have an assignment for you. All right, so if you're a kid, if, you have a, if, you, if you're going to get your mask here in a second, 
I want you to color this mask the best of your ability. I'm not talking sort of just when I'm bored kind of coloring. I mean full on board. I mean give me your absolute best here. You've got all the space. If you want to do the front and the back, you can do that as well. But kids, later on, I want you to show me what you've come up with, okay? So you'll get some crayons here, you'll get some masks, and kids, I want you to really give me your best work here, okay? Adults, you hang on to your mask too because your assignment will be coming up later on, all right? As we pass it out, let's pray as we just begin. So let's pray together. God, thank you so much that we get to hear your voice. The Lord, as we sang at VBS this week, that sometimes it's hard to trust you when we don't see you. And one of the themes that we talked about this week in VBS is, Lord, we trust you. And God, one of the ways that you have uh, allowed us to see you is through your word, that we get to hear your voice, that you get to speak to us through the Bible. Thank you that we can trust in you because we can trust in your word. And so, Lord, as we go before that, as we read these few passages, may you speak to us and may we hear. In your name I pray, amen and amen. We're in a new sermon series, and uh, we're just really glad that you're here. If you're new this morning, we want to particularly welcome you, and also just invite you, if you see there's a connection card right there in front of you, we'd love to know that you are here. We'd love to know how we could better connect with you, better connect you to this church. Here at Randall, we want to help everyone find their place uh, upward in Christ, inward in the church, and outward in the community. So if you're new with us, and you'd like to learn a little bit more about how you can find your place here at Randall, we would love to do that. There'll be an offering plate that'll come around later in the service. You can stick that right in there and be sure that we'll reach back out to you uh, with that. We are so glad that you're here. And we're in a new sermon series this week called Love Can. And the reason is, is because we're at a major break in the book of Romans. We have spent the last six months walking through the first 11 chapters of Romans. And now we're here in Romans 12. And this is almost universally accepted as the major breaking point in the book. When we get to Romans 12, what has happened is up until now, Paul has been giving us some big theological truths. And now here in, in chapter 12, he's beginning to address how these truths work out in real, practical, day-to-day -day life. And so he starts by summarizing, summarizing all of chapters 1 through 11, and he only uses one word to do it. Like I said, what we have taken six months to do Paul is going to do with one word, mercy. He uses the word mercy. Therefore, he says in the beginning of chapter 12, therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything we've just been talking about for 11 verses, for six months, in view of everything which he summarizes as mercy, in view of God's mercy, how are we to now respond? How are we now to live our, light, our lives in light of every truth that we have just learned that God has showered upon us? And Paul uses this word mercy to do it. In fact, the word mercy here is actually in the Greek, it's actually in the plural. So it literally, literally reads God's mercies. And Paul is reminding us of the displays, the many displays of his mercies that he's touched upon in the first 11 chapters. So what are these mercies? If you haven't been with us and you want a quick recap, I'll try to do it with as, as, as much brevity as Paul did here with one word. 
So I would say this, in chapters 1 through 3, we learn just how broken we are. Really, the the thrust of chapters 1 through 3 is Paul really revealing where we stand before God, and it's not good. He describes us as this, and I quote, We are futile and foolish. Our hearts are darkened. We're impure. We're depraved. We're full of all kinds of wickedness and greed and evil. We're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We're gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. We invent ways of doing evil. We disobey our parents, children. Amen? We, <laughs> can I, we have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. A God who has given us every mercy extends it to a people who have no mercy. Then Paul goes on to say that those who think that they're not like that— who think they have it all right, who think that they have it all together, who think that they are innocent, they have no excuse, he says, you who pass judgment on someone else because you do it too. And so I would say to summarize, and here's your first fill-in this morning, to summarize with the brevity that Paul used, I would say chapters 1 through 3 reminds us that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. We try and we try. We try to do all our good stuff in order to please God, but we are fallen. We're broken. We can't keep heat. We can't offer him anything. We are totally broken people with nothing to offer. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. But in chapters 4 through 11, we learn just how secure we are. Chapters 4 through 8 reveals that right relationship with God, apart from the law, apart from anything that we can do, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We have been brought from death to life. And now, he says at the end of chapter 8, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future— Any of powers of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then chapters 9 through 11 conclude this by saying that our salvation is secure because God's promises never fail. So again, if I could summarize briefly, chapters 4 through 11 remind us that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. His love for you never fails. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. This is the power of the gospel. This is the mercy, the mercies of God. So Paul says, in light of these mercies, in light of the fact that there is nothing you can do to make God love you less, and nothing you can do to make God love you more. Here's how we do to respond. I want to sit with that again just for one minute because of a couple of things here. First, the order is important. Anything God will ask us to do moving forward in the letter is in light of what he's already done. Right? Thanks be to God that it's not the other way. It's not in view, in light of your obedience, God extends his mercies. The order is important. No, no, in view of God's mercy, here's what we are to do now. The order is important. 
Our obedience is always in light of what God has already done for us. This is critical. We must remember that. But let's take, let's take it a little more uh, personal here. Let's sit with that idea for, uh, for a moment here. If you're a parent uh, and you've got a kid next to you, just, just uh, uh, look at him, if you would. Maybe even put your arm around him. Snuggle him in. Yeah, grab him. Hold him tight to you. Maybe you have a niece or a nephew you can think of. If not, if you have a niece or a nephew or someone. Now, as you hold them in your loving, tender touch, I want you to think for a moment just how sweet they are right? How well-behaved, how respectful, how courteous, how selfless, how mindful of others they are, huh? Now we know, of course, the reality of that is some of you have already shot nasty looks at them to be quiet already, right? We're only 10 minutes in. You know the reality of the situation. They're broken. They're fallen. They can make us want to pull our hair out. They can push us to the edge of insanity. Okay, maybe for me, with the lack of sleep, I'm a little more intense right now about this, but you get the drift. Again, uh, if, you have, if you've let go, grab them in again, look them in the eye, and just say sweetly, well, aren't you a little ball of sin? Go ahead. <laughs> aren't you a little ball of sin? so sweet, so fallen, right? We understand this reality. My wife calls it scary mama. Don't, you don't want to see scary mama, right? But here's the reality. There's this profound truth, though, is that no matter what, despite it all, despite the fact that they drive you crazy, despite all the ways they miss the mark, despite all the ways they don't deserve it, you know this profound truth that there is nothing they could do to make you love them more, and there's nothing they could do to make you love them less. Right? Despite it all, you look at them and you go, there is nothing that you could do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you could do to make me love you less. Like, that's another story, right? That's a very negotiable thing from day to day. But love, that's secure. That remains the same. That's the mercy of you as a parent. And that's the mercy of our God, our Father, who looks upon you, his child, and says the same thing. There's nothing you can do to make me love you more or less. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, in view of God's mercies, what are we to do? Well, he gives us the next point. He says, in view of this, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, this gets at the heart of the letter. Because remember, Paul's main motivation for writing Romans was to address the tension that had developed between the Jewish and Gentile groups within the, within the church. Because Jews, if you haven't been with us, here's just a quick recap. Jews had been God's chosen people throughout the Bible. Jews had always been the religious insiders, the one who were given God's instructions, the one who had the family pedigree, the ones who had it all figured out. The Gentiles, on the other hand, were not Jewish. They were the historical outsiders, the pagans, the enemies. Those who had given their lives to Jesus were still viewed by the Jew as a second-class citizen. 
And they disagreed fundamentally about how they were to follow Jesus now that they had come together in unity. The Jews were doing their thing, the Gentiles were doing their thing, and then Jesus comes and brings them together. He rescues them, he extends his mercy upon them, and they join this fellowship together called the church. But the problem is, is there was tension about how we are actually to follow, to worship God. How are we to properly worship this Jesus? Do we do the Jewish things, or do we have to forget about that? And so Paul writes this letter because there's this infighting that's happened. Because for the Jew, being in right relationship, and here's your next fill-in, being in right relationship with God meant not associating with outsiders. And Paul will address this in Romans 15. And for the Jew, being in right relationship with God meant worshiping on certain days and eating certain things, which Paul will get to in Romans 14. And for the Jew, being in right relationship with God meant being in conflict with other kingdoms around them. And sure enough, Paul will get to that in Romans 13. And for the Jew, being in right relationship with God meant offering the right sacrifices. And here we get to that in chapter 12. You see, in the ancient world, including Judaism, religion was sacrifice. The killing and offering of animals was the focal point of worship. And so, sacrifices were meant to make you right before God. And this is how everyone thought. This is how the whole world thought. Up until that point, this was the primary way that you connected, that you made things right with your God so that your God would then give you what you needed to survive. And so you didn't know how the giant ball of fire moved across the sky. But you depended on it rising again the next day. And so you made sacrifices. And you didn't know how water fell from above, but you needed it to grow your crops or you'd starve. So you made sacrifices. And you didn't know how a swarm of insects insects moved the way it did, but if they decided to make their home on your land, you would lose everything. And so you sacrificed. And the radical, upside-down, paradigm-shifting gospel of Jesus is that the God who you made sacrifices to became the sacrifice. This was radical. No one had ever even thought, what do you mean the God who we have sacrificed to year after year becomes the sacrifice? And so now there's nothing more we can do. God says we don't need to make sacrifices anymore. The sacrifice is done. There's nothing that you can do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. And so there are no more sacrifices to make except one. Yourself. You become the sacrifice. Your life becomes a living sacrifice in response to the mercies of God. For thousands and thousands of years, I made sacrifices, and then the mercies of God would come. Now you're telling me, you give me the mercies up front, and then ask not for sacrifices, but myself to become a sacrifice for the world. Radical stuff. And so Paul begins to talk about that. Paul begins to show us what it means to be a living sacrifice. He says this becomes your true and proper worship. Not what you put on an altar. Your true and 
proper worship is now yourself. And so the rest of chapter 12 is all about, all about sharing ways and giving examples of ways we become living sacrifices. And our passage this morning gives us the first one. What does it mean to live as a living sacrifice? And Paul shares with us, and he says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Now, the word conform in the Greek is suits hetmetso. Kids, I want you to say that with me and make sure you get a good spitting motion when you do that. Mitz hetmetspo, right? I love that little guttural, that right? You can take that home, share it, kids, with your friends. Enjoy that. Now, at its root, it means to put on. To put on. And used figuratively, it means to put on a mask. We see that in ancient writings a lot. They would use this word to mean one who puts on a mask. When you conform, you change your appearance. You put on something. You put on a mask that covers up who you really are. So, Paul says, one way of becoming a living sacrifice is to resist wearing the masks of the world. Don't wear the masks of this world. Now, what are some examples of masks of this world? Because masks are anything we exchange for the mercies of God. When we stop trusting in the mercies of God, when we stop trusting in who God is and what God has done for us, when we stop trusting his love, we exchange those mercies for masks. We exchange mercies for masks. And we hide behind the patterns of this world as a safety valve. And so there's masks of control. And there's masks of success. And there's masks of power. And there's masks of materialism. And there's masks of appearance. In fact, in our culture, there are masks of do-goodness. I was actually talking with, a, with someone. I was at a neighborhood uh, barbecue last night. And we began to talk, and he was sharing with me about how he just wasn't satisfied with his work, that his work was keeping him going too long and too many hours and too much stress. And he said to me, you know what, I just want to, to find a job where I can just come home and then spend more time with my family, you know, volunteer a little bit, because isn't that what life is all about? Sort of this do-goodness, sort of like I, I just feel like the universe uh, will, will be happy with me, and things will go generally right, and whatever happens after I die, that, you know, as long as I'm a good person, I spend time with my family, I give to charity, I do service projects here and there. Well, that's what life is about. And he knew, he knew I was a pastor, and I said, can I give you the pastor answer? And he smiled. I did it nicely. I, he smiled. He's like, sure. I said, That'll feel good for a while. But I think there's something more to that. Do you want to, I know at a party, it's, this is not, you know, like, let's, let's talk about that more. Can we set up a time to hang out? His name is Mark. I'm praying for Mark. Because he's wearing a mask. And he's dancing the dance. And he needs Jesus. You see, we wear masks. We all wear masks some sort. And our masks are comfortable. They're our defense mechanism. They're our security blanket. We place our identity in them. 
But the constancy and the pretending leave us tired and empty. Adults, take out your mask. Let me ask you a question. What is your mask? What do you hide behind? When you're in a moment or season of your life where you're, you, you're doubting, and you wouldn't say it outright, but internally you struggle with God's mercies and his love for you, you run to something up to fill it up, fill your tank. You run to something else. You put something else on that brings you happiness, that brings you pride, that brings you identity. What is it for you? You've got pencils in front of you. I invite you, grab a pencil, write it in. Hold your mask. Take out a writing utensil if you've got a pen or something. And write it down. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe it's a couple of things. What mask do you wear? While you do that, kids, I am ready to see your mask. Let me see them. Throw them on. I want to see these masks of yours. Let me look. Looking pretty good. I like that. That's good. Yeah, put them on. I want you to put them on. Don't just show me. Put Put those babies on. Let me see them. You look great, guys. Ooh, I like yours right there. That's good. All right, very good. Thank you. Way in the back there, you got them on. All right, thumbs up. That's good. You guys look great. Appreciate it. Adults, put yours on. And here's the thing. You don't have to put the writing side up if you don't want to. If you'd feel more comfortable with the writing side on the inside, that's okay. But stick them on. And when you do, look around. Look around the room. You see, friends, we all wear masks. We all wear masks. And the thing with masks is that they're really tiring. And they'll feel good at times. And it's sometimes nice to hide behind something else. Put on mine. Of course, mine broke in my pocket, so I'll hold it like this. They're comfortable, right? And the thing is, no, they're not. (laughs) Amen, that'll preach right there. That's the reality is they're not actually comfortable. We have to keep going. We have to keep pretending. We have to keep the facade going. Because for me, if I'm not successful in what I do, man, I doubt myself. And here's the thing with the gospel. You can take those off. Here's the gospel. As you take them off, hear the gospel truth. The gospel truth is this. In view of God's mercies, we're able to remove the masks. In view of God's mercies, we're able to remove the masks. I'll invite Mario if you can come on up as we close out our time. You see, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do. You are dead in your sin. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. But here's the thing. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. 
The gospel truth is that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Kids, if you have ever felt alone on the playground, and for our family, that's not a hypothetical example, and you just want to hide, know that there's nothing you can do that'll make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. If you've ever felt anxious about how things will go and how you'll respond, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. If you've ever felt like you can't keep up with the Joneses, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. If you've ever felt less than because of how you looked, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. If you've ever felt the angst of somebody else's recognition or success, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Because being a living sacrifice gives us living hope. It displays living hope to a world full of people hiding behind their masks. I pray for my friend who hides behind his mask. And I pray that he'll see a living hope in my family as we begin to lay our masks down and be real and authentic and live under the love of God because love can remove the masks. Only love can. Only the love of Jesus can remove your mask. So lay it down. Be free. Because it does, it sets us free. And the mass of death lose their grip. And every chain is broken. And there's salvation in the name of Jesus Christ, our living hope. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the kids here this week. I thank you for their hearts as they sang to you, as they learned about you, as they learned to trust in you, as they learned to trust in your mercies day after day. Lord, help them trust your love because love can remove the mask. Lord, I pray for those who are here this morning that are just feeling a heavy weight, knowing that there is something that they've been hiding behind for a long time. May they trust God that, that they can remove the mask. May we find security in the fact that, Lord, there is nothing we can do to make you love us more. And there is nothing we can do to make you love us less. So set us free. May the mask of death lose its grip. May you break the chains. And may we find salvation anew in your name, Jesus, our living hope. We love you. In your name I pray.